So, with that being said, let's um, look at the key there, Roman numeral 2, basic method of theological emphasis. Uh, we'll talk about some of those terms to make sure you kind of have a common language. Um, I'll be talking, Nick Scandell is another one of our clergy talking. He's going to talk specifically about entire sanctification because that is somewhat novel um, to the Western tradition. But let me start out by talking about the divide that exists in the Christian community. Um, you've got, and the easiest way to do this is let me talk about Calvin again. Um, Calvinists come out of John Calvin, uh, the Continental Reformation. Uh, Lutheran and Calvinists, for our purposes, are going to be very, very similar. Uh, of course, when you talk about this Lutheran Calvinist direction, obviously Lutherans are in it. Um, obviously, Presbyterians are in it. Uh, some Lutherans and some Presbyterians are more Orthodox conservative Calvinists than others. So what I say to you about Calvinists and uh, Lutherans, I'm talking about the traditional Orthodox Calvinists and Lutherans. You've got people in their churches that are no better Calvinists than the Methodists are in our churches. Uh, but I'm going to talk about the ideal Calvinists, the ideal Lutherans. But uh, anyway, the Lutherans obviously, Presbyterians obviously are Calvinists. Any denomination is the word reform. Um, social reform, Presbyterian, any, any combination with the word reform in it are Calvinists, and some Baptists are Calvinists. Um, you, you can particularly, well, used to be almost no Baptists which is why you had a development of 100 plus years ago of the free will Baptists. Because, um, you know, they, were, they, they wanted to make sure about 100 years ago, there, there, there began to be some Baptists who were becoming more and more reformed. I'll talk about that in a minute as I compare it to us. But particularly, um, some Baptists, if, if they are very reformed, you'll even see them use, um, you'll see, see them use the title Sovereign Grace Baptist. Uh, so, Baptists, you, you have to deal with individual Baptists to see whether, to see how reformed they are. And we'll talk about reformed in a minute. But what I, what I want you to notice are the large the large group of us that are not Calvinists on particular what we're talking about today. We have massive agreement. All of us can use the Apostles' Creed. Uh, but obviously the Apostles' Creed doesn't talk about election, which is what differentiates Um The Apostles' Creed doesn't really define grace, which differentiates us. The Apostles' Creed doesn't talk about the sacrament. Uh, so for our purposes, we, of course, Methodists, we're in this non-Calvinist grant when it comes to election, when it comes to sacrament, um, and all of that's based on our definition of grace. You know, one of the main things I want you to get before we get out of here today is what is grace? I used to love on the board a ministry of theology to me to ask seminary graduates out of Methodist seminary, what is grace? And you know, they, I could always tell they always want to tell me, you know what that is, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do know what that is. Don't think you know what that is. And usually what they would give me is a limited definition of grace. And I suspect the same would happen in this room. Um, a limited, not wrong, but limited definition of grace. But um, on the topic of grace, because of the topic of grace, 
uh, then means of grace, thankfulness, um, election, as we can receive grace. We get it. That's what we get. Those are not apostle uh, creed sinful doctrines. Some of us think it's pretty important. So you notice we're in the major three. Roman Catholic, he's three fourths of us. That's, um, you know, we were all this till the year 1054. In the year 1054, the Eastern Church broke off. So, um, and then in, in the 16th century, 1517, the following Protestants started happening. Um, Anglicanism is in this branch, and that's the Church of England. That's our mother church, uh, Church of England. Now, in the Anglican tradition, particularly in England, uh, there is a Reformed presence there. So, uh, again, you kind of have to pay attention to uh, the particular pastor you have in the church. You have some are more formed than others, but they're sort of the mixed denomination. But we are in this non-Calvinist stream, regarding grace. And then most all of the holiness Pentecostal churches, almost by nature, have to be non-Calvinist, which that's because of what's going on in that entire sanctification. Um, some of them, though, uh, when the Pentecostal movement started, some of them uh, most all of them were, were burst out of Methodist circles. Um, but there was one, for instance, burst out of a Calvinist circle, and that was the Sinners of God. So sometimes you find a little bit more Calvinism in the Sinners of God than you will Pentecostal Holy Spirit. But the main thing I want you to see is, I don't know the percentages. This is probably 85% of all Christianity in this category. Um, this is a small percentage. But sometimes it depends on where you live at. Uh, when I was in seminary, I always heard the down south, there are more Baptists than there are people. <laughs> <laughs> and again, a lot of the Baptists, particularly in the modern era, a lot of the Baptists joyfully jump in this category. Historically, they've been more in this category because where did Baptists come from? Church of England. Uh, they popped out of the church of England like we did. So that's why it's historically they've been here, but they've been making a shift here. So you've got to, uh, you know, like you do your therapist or your medical doctor, you need to choose your Baptist pastor carefully and say, which category are you in? If it makes a difference to you, if it makes a difference to you after today. So with that, let me talk about grace. So this is what John Wesley one time said. We're within a hair's breadth of Calvinism. And we're all within a hair's breadth of Calvinism in regards to justification. Justification is uh, how we are saved. Uh, think about, uh, I couldn't do this 30 years ago, but I can do it now. Think about when you hit the button on your computer and you justify your mark. You know, they're all put right. They're put straight. Uh, justification is, has been our word long before the computer set apart. Justification is, is, is when you open your life Jesus Christ, and you allow Jesus Christ to save for being you. Um, we know that by receiving the grace through faith, um, we receive the work of the cross. We all agree on that, pretty much. We all agree on that, justification, how we get that. Um, we differ on sanctification. Um, these two things differ on sanctification. Justification is what gets you in the kingdom. That's your birth experience, that's your being saved, that's your being Christ, all the way in. Sanctification, though, is the growth that happens. The 
the spiritual growth that happens after that. You know, some people get their foot in the door in justification and they grow no more. That's okay, you get to heaven on that. But sanctification is that process or uh, event where you really take the major steps in Christian growth. Uh, the way I say it, um, I think you're going to remember this, uh, justification will get you out of hell, but sanctification gets the hell out of you. Because, you know, when you come to Christ, there's no delete button on us. You know, we don't come to Christ and all of a sudden all the baggage, all of the sin, all of the weight, all the weight that so easily encumbers us, both you agree well, it doesn't just vanish. Uh, Paul had to deal with that. But he had all these Greeks and Roman pagans coming into the church to receive Jesus. Um, but they, they, had, they had to work on that Jewish sexual morality. They had to work on some of that. So justification is, is what is being put right by God. Sanctification is the process afterwards. So let me define grace now. And then I'm going to go back to Provena, justifying, sanctifying grace. Um, grace, if I were to go out on the street and grab Christians and say, define grace for me, they would probably say, which is probably right, they probably say God's unmerited, undeserved faith. That's right. Or the other. Uh, most of the time when people say God's undeserved, unmerited favor, they think about the cross, they think about the forgiveness of their sins. And that's certainly true. God's grace forgives you of your sins. Um, that's true. Doesn't go far enough. Uh, for most of us in the body of Christ, it doesn't go far enough. Power to define grace, rather than and, and another one that that, that definition, God's undeserved, um, unmerited favor, is 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 a is a is an okay definition. But when you talk about what you mean by favor, at that point, usually in people's brains, it's just forgiveness of the sin, the forgiveness of the penalty of the sin. The forgiveness of the guilt That's all true, that's all wonderful, that's all part of justification. But you notice we talk about sanctification. And we, um, people in this category, also talk about pervenient grace uh, that comes before justifying grace, it comes before sanctifying grace. It's all the same grace. I would define grace this way, because I want you to have a wrong definition of grace. Because I don't want you to just give Jesus your sins. I want you to give Jesus your sins and give him your life and let him do something with your life. That puts me in the category. Um, so I would define grace this way. It's um, God's empowering presence in your life that works God's redemption in your life. And you know, if you want to use other words for redemption, say redemption, deliverance, salvaging, redeeming, whatever. It's God's empowering presence in your life that works in your life. Now, of course, that's working uh, through Jesus' sense of Jesus, that God's empowering presence in your life, what God's the one to do the work. God's empowering presence in your life that, that leads you to give your sins to Jesus and be forgiven of your sins. But um, the, the work of grace is not sinless. 
Now, one of the things that sort of differentiates these two categories is, of course, you're getting my perspective. I'm, I'm someone from this category. I think these people sometimes that we all have our we all have our blind spots. We all have our tendencies certain theological errors. These people, they aren't careful. They'll make more out of human than the grace of God. Um, you know, if you want to do theology well, particularly from this perspective, make as much as you can out of the work of God in Christ and take seriously human sin, but don't allow the power of sin to be greater than the power of grace. These people sometimes make that they're, they're in the scene. You know, I told you I thought uh, I did youth minister in a Presbyterian church, and you know they, they were really into sin. Uh, which we all like prayers and confession. Um, because I'm in this stream, I tend to use one as uh, But because I'm in this stream, I'm not as neurotic about using that prayer of confession. You know, these people are. I mean, these people, if you want to learn about sin, these people are the place to go to. And we don't disagree with them. We are, we are depraved, we're sinful, we're broken, we're bent. You know, all that we teach about human of human being is a paradox. It's something you got to stop put on why I'm a Christian. Human being is a paradox. We are both we're both depraved and dignified at the same time. Um, you know, don't you don't go don't just go to either extreme on this. The contemporary culture around me is, is in that extreme of, of the dignity of the human being. They just you just want to be affirmed, celebrated, encouraged. That's great. You are made in the image of God. So, you know, that, that, that's the dignity of human being, but we believe in the privacy of human being. That's why Jesus is essential. Jesus is necessary. God's grace is not only amazing, but it's essential. It's not just something you add on to your life. Um, these people are really good about reminding you how to pray in the name of God. And we agree with them 100%. This is where John Wesley would say we're within. Hair's breadth of Calvinism. He would say if we were within a hair's breadth of Calvinism when it comes to justification, how much we need Jesus and how we receive him. We all agree on that. Even your own Catholic brothers. They may, um, like some good methods sometimes, they may not articulate it well. But the stand of the church is exactly that. Every Christian says the same by faith. Don't ever accept the idea that a Roman Catholic thinks you're saved by what you do. Or, even worse, don't ever accept what some people think the same that you believe you're saved by your work. Jews nor Christians of any stripe have ever taught they're saved by works. Um, Abraham was chosen and brought into the family of God long before Moses gave the law. So the chosen comes first. The relationship comes first. Then later comes the demon and all that stuff. That's across the board in Jewish Christian thoughts. Um, you know, if, if you get to that place where you think it's all dependent upon your good work, yeah, you're a heretic in both categories. Um, we all agree that we need to work Christ. Christ has to take the initiative. Christ comes first. And what Christ comes first with is grace. So grace is God's empowering presence in your life to work the transform work of God in you. Now, we Methodists, 
We were talking with him, by the way, that three step change title to uh, We talked about pervenient grace. We talked about uh, just time grace. We talked about things. We enlisted on the And uh, next time you got him on front of you, that was at some point. Uh, next time you got him on front of you, look at the section for, for, for being grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace, and just see which hymns you took. And uh, now that you understand for being grace, uh, justifying grace, and sanctifying grace. Um, now there's grace is grace. You know, when I was seven more old amen, I was a seminary graduate. My, my ears were perked up if, if they ever started talking like there's three different kinds of grace. That's kind of like living the three different kinds of God. You know, it's kind of three in one. With, with, with convenient and justifying the same time with the sort of three in one. It, it, it's God's empowering presence in our lives, a working transformation. Now, when does that empowering presence in our lives show up? When does God begin working in our lives? It's not a rhetorical question. I mean, that's the reason I'm not working at all. I don't even say conception, but yeah, you're close. So we talked about provenience grace, being the grace of God from conception to salvation. Provenience grace, we're straddled like, you know, Provenient, the old king James English. It doesn't mean to prevent. Okay, we've been using this term for 400 years, but I'm just Provenient doesn't mean to prevent. Provenient in the old king James English means to speak to. It means to be proud. So um, uh, when you came to Christ, when you experienced justifying grace, when you gave your sins, over your life in Jesus Christ, and you experience justifying grace, and, and, and God in Christ sets you right. Um, that was the result of all the years, it, it wasn't two years, of God's wounding into that relationship. God, I think, at conception begins wooing you into that relationship. So I've read the book of Jeremiah. God wooed you into that relationship. Because where at some point you you um you you awaken you awaken to the fact that God's been coming at you. And that's when you receive it. Justifying, say, the thing, you birth, whatever you want to call it. But for being in a prior grace, is all of that grace that God has been you know, if, if you choose to go to hell, you won't have to climb over in this culture anyway. You won't have to climb over a lot of preachers, a lot of churches, a lot of Bibles. A lot of Christian programming, a lot of Christian relatives. Lots of provenient grace is around us in way. You know, a lot of times we, we don't know it when it's happening. We look back over our lives and we see how God's grace is working. Um, so that's kind of, um, yeah, I gave some scripture text. That's another edit I have. I gave some scripture text that you want to look at different aspects. That's grace. So that's grace. That's grace getting involved in human life. That's grace bringing you to salvation. And then it's grace who throws you up and gets the hell out of you. 
is grace that will clean you up. You know, we're not now sometimes all Protestants and all Catholics will do. They act like we're saved by grace. But then it's all about our good efforts. You know, it's forced us up our bootstraps. Uh, from a Christian perspective, we have those bootstraps. Uh, so we're saved by grace. We, um, we're brought to Christ by grace. We're saved by grace. And then we grow by grace. It, it's all a matter of surrender, submission, and yielding to God. Uh, all of that we agree with across the board. As a matter of fact, now, because we, John Wesley particularly, started a um, conversation about forgiveness, right? Um, you know, but, but, see, we believe in total depravity, except. We believe every human being pervenient grace is on the There's no human being born that God's not saying to his son. You know, we take very seriously that invitation, who's ever will with us. Um, that's why we believe in free grace. And what I mean by that, grace by nature is free. But um, where we differ is all where we differ here. Who can receive the grace, and what can the grace accomplish? That's where you need to reflect for tonight. Who can receive the grace, and what can grace accomplish? Um, now we can have Calvinists. I present this in such a way that none of you guys be Calvinists. But um, Brian Graham is now, here's, here's, here's where the difference comes in. Um, who can receive grace and what all can grace accomplish? Well, let's talk about who can receive grace. Well, we in this screen, um, and thanks to Billy Graham, who people in this screen, that's where some Presbyterians are not real conservative Presbyterians, so they're acting like us on the, on, also the points such as who can receive grace. Well, when the Calvinists, when the Lutherans, the Calvinists, not so much Lutherans, the Calvinists, when they got started, they believed, and, I, and this is formalized, I, I did the argument, they believed so in the sovereignty, in the power of them, and that they couldn't fathom, they can't fathom, that God does not get everything God does. And I get that, I, I know where that comes from. They could not, not read the Old Testament. God gets frustrated. But anyway, the thing here's the sovereignty of God and the power of God says, God, they cannot have God and not get what God wants. So, were they logically extrapolate that out? Is it? If you go to hell, guess what? That was God's plan. That was God's plan. Um, this is the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election. Um, see, we, today, when they talk about election, they, they, they see a group of Now, when we talk about election, it's a biblical term. When we talk about election, we talk about how the human race has been elected in Christ and everyone who comes to Christ. Now, when they talk about election, they talk about a, a specific group of people. You know, if, if you are among the redeemed, that's what God wanted. If you're not among the redeemed, that's what God said. 
Um, John Wesley had most of his um, had most of, of his controversy with Calvin. The reason, by the way, this is a topic for search. Now, the reason the trust laws and put in place in the early Methodist church is to make sure that none of our churches got taken over by Catholics. Um, it was not the Catholics uh, or the Quakers or the Church of England that Wesley had most of his conflict with his account. Um, because he just thought that was a horrid gospel. You know, he, he might go as far as saying, if you go to heaven, God predestined destined you to heaven, that was God's mind to go to heaven, that was God's role and wish that you go to heaven. He could accept that, and he could not keep going down that path and say, well, if you go to hell, that was God's plan too. Um, you know, Jesus, the work of Jesus accomplishes what God wants to accomplish. So in other words, um, if you're in our category, then you, you have to kind of deal with the frustrated God. Um, at least in this case, you got to deal with the frustrated God. Because we believe in free grace that every human being is going to come to face the cross. And now guess what? They all don't. Now, does that frustrate God? It frustrates God. It, it displeases God. Am I going to have such a view of the sovereignty of God that I'm going to say, but that's the way to do it? I can't look at the scriptures and say that. I'm channeling God this way. I can't look at scriptures and say that. I see, you know what the word Israel means? He who wrestles with God. What I see in the scriptures are people in God wrestling. God, you know, God calls you, God brings you in, God gives you. Think about the story of Israel. You do well for about six months. And then before you know it, you go great and after the, the, the gods of Baal and Ashtaroth. And then God has to send some prophets to you. And if you still don't listen, God will carry you off into exile. It's this continuous cycle of, of, uh, of faith, um, degeneration, repentance coming back, um, faith, degeneration. So that's what I think you see in Scripture is this kind of, this messy relationship. Um, so I have to, I, I can't define legs. I cannot say that grace, salvation grace, is only given to those that God wants to do. And if you don't have it, that's part of God's love. Um, that's why we call it free grace. Um, they would tend to say sovereign grace. That's why I said you've got a master. Just find out if they're part of the sovereign grace. God gives God's grace to you. He wants to give God's grace to you. And if you left you out, that's okay. Again, this provision, and a lot of this is, there's a great book, one of the top 20 books on church history, written in the 20th century, written by um, the guy who is now president of Forest, uh, called The Democratization of American Christianity. And what the whole book is about, how in America, it's not going to have to do with our background, our history, our even these people, think people like Bill Graham, even these people have to if you ask a good calendar, what is the point of preaching? Well, there are four on campus. Now, I have two points to The brain you can say, my mission statement, by the way, um, to introduce you to Christ, you have to give in the fullness of Christ's gift. That's my two purposes of preaching. The brain you can say, and then you grow in that. Calvinists say, what's the point of preaching? They don't change the point of preaching. But they kind of have to do it. The point of preaching is to awaken the elect 
you're among the elect, you need to get with it. You know, you might be living like the devil right now and you're among the elect, but you need to be away with it. Preaching awakens the elect. For, and you know, you never quite know who's among the elect and who's not. Um, preaching awakens the elect. The other purpose for preaching, and this comes from some really, really conservative calendars to the world today. They actually call themselves restorationists. Um, and there's statues in a couple different ways in the church. But um, the only reason for preaching among some harmful Calvinists is not that you might be saved. So that's, that's totally up to God. Not that you might be saved. But they will say the purpose of preaching is to Christianize the culture. Because we won't even be the more Christian or Jewish or all of that. So they will say that. But elect for them is a sense of fine group. Um, we, we finally, we, we got to, you know, we talk about prevenient grace. So we all agree, salvation is the work of God and God. This is how many people can participate. Um, and if you come to Christ, it has to be because God is working in your life. Which is why we believe every human being experiences prevenient grace, part of what we celebrate and have with them. Before that child knows anything, God's already said, I'm coming up. I want that job. So, Presbyterians, this is kind of Jewish in this. After we had hammered on that, that Christ is working in all human beings, um, and that's why we think always, it's not human will or human work that brings salvation, but Christ is already working to, to bring it. They, they now have the concept of common grace. Because they, they had to eventually acknowledge, yeah, everybody's afraid. But God is getting through to somebody. I mean, you know, look at what Jesus said. The, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. I mean, some of God's goodness has been experienced by people who absolutely will never be among the elect. So they had to finally acknowledge that we were kind of right on that. They call it common grace, which, in a sense, that's what we mean by that grace is there for all we do. So, how do
splitting gets a little more interesting. But yeah, that's a great point. That's why the John 3.16. Go ask, it's hard to find a way to have Because of the democratization of American Christianity. Called Billy Graham, and we kind of won the spot. Among mainline Presbyterians, mainline Presbyterians, I don't think you can find many hardcore thousands. Which is why a lot of them, now if you go to some of the offices, Presbyterian Church in America, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the Bible Presbyterian Church, the Presbyterian Church General Assembly, uh, these are all denominations of people who are really being real Presbyterian. They will look at the mainline church and say, yeah, that's why if you leave here today and go talk to somebody who goes to uh, First Pres, this and John Calvin's rolling his brain, if I'm over here. Because this whole, that, we, by the way, we call it, please don't watch that one. Uh, <laughs> get this on a Jeopardy equation, I'm part of it. It's called supernatural predestination. Which means, God, if he predestined, has to predest in both directions. He can't predestined in heaven without um, so, yeah, you'll find many in mainline Presbyterians who are um, traditional supernaturalists who are familiar. Um, and some of the Calvinists who came after Calvin were more so in the Vatican Calvinist. But if you just take the argument and push it out, that's why we're in England. John Lynch is very much. John Lynch is very much. Is that also coming from the like hundred and forty thousand I'm sure they're probably that that's fascinating. So again they just want to say, is Bob not giving what God wants? Yeah. That's why they can't imagine they can't imagine that because there's one God power enough to get everything. That's for free will. Well that's that's we sort of different. We that's why the free will passes. Are the Baptists who expressly are not counting for that. They live in free will. So, they're going on full direction. The sovereign grace Baptists have gotten really focused in the last 30, 40 years. So, uh, yeah, I had a sovereign grace Baptist come to me one day after I did a funeral for him. I had, so I just, I automatically, because of provenient grace and the work of Christ, provenient grace is based on the work of Christ. It's all based on the work of Christ. Uh, because of provenient grace, if a baby dies, heaven or hell? Yeah. If they're among the elect, um, if they're among the elect, heaven. Yes, I had a sovereign grace Baptist come to me after I preached the funeral and asked me, how did I know that baby was among the elect? Uh, I was thinking an hour to talk about the difference. But, um, that, which is why I'm wondering if we baptize a baby. I know when I'm baptizing a baby, I'm baptizing a redeemed human being. Now, you know what I'm talking about. When I baptize a baby, I know I'm baptizing a redeemed human being. And if that baby dies, they go to heaven, not because they're so cute, because they're a human being. They die and go to heaven because they work with God. And baptism identifies that baby as the work of God. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's where all that, you can imagine how this got John Wesley's blood and blood. But see, because of our history, 
strong package people are not saying that we miss we, this is a continental European reformation. You know, it started with Luther, it started with the Calvary. We came two hundred years later. And by the time we come along, we like telling Um they they were getting extreme. That's why we're not really in this Lutheran Calvinist branch. We're we're in Sometimes we call it Arminian. We call it Arminian because Arminius was a Calvinist who told who told the Christians of the Calvinists they were losing time. They were getting they, they were they were they were idolizing logic. Um, keep in mind too, I like to point out John Wesley was a scholar and a evangelist. What do you think of John Calvin's original training? He was a lawyer. It's logical, it's black and white, it makes sense that God did what God did not want. Oh, yeah, we're a little messier than that over here. Because we look at the Bible and see God's love, and we, we really believe that God, that grace is free, can be offered to everybody. And everybody, when he talks about the definition of free will, everybody has will that is free to a certain extent to receive God. That makes us feel great. They have they have a doctrine of the happy fall. <laughs> that I mean, and it makes sense. I mean, the, we're grateful for the fall because if we're not for the fall, we do not go through this Jesus stuff. Which is why in the Book of Revelation, our garden we get back at the end of the book is better than the garden we lost because of the work of Christ. Um, so. I'm going to get you to the entire thing today. Well, this is where they really, their brain is closed. Um, <laughs> when we see grace, again, the issue becomes, in my advice, who can receive grace and what all can grace do? Well, I've taught that in the Christian This branch, this is the bulk of it, believes everyone can come to Christ. When they come to Christ, it's called Christ and it's gone. Not because they are brilliant people, but they're sinners. But when they come to Christ, it's called Christ the strong man. So let's talk a second about what can grace do. Um, this is where we do make a brain today. And I'll probably make you a brain today. This is why I've got Kevin Watson's book at this for you. Um, how, how Christian can God make you? How Christian can God make you? We are on this side are very optimistic about this. You know, um, these people freak out when we start talking about God doesn't get it. We, God, God doesn't get what God wants when everyone's not saved. We freak out on this side when we say to these people, so you came to Christ, and you're going to die just as simple as you were when you came to Christ. You're going to make a little bit of progress. Very slow, very gradual. You're going to make a little bit of progress. Um, we say, you know, even if we say that perfection in any way is completion, maturity, even if we say that probably only comes at best. 
is it justified to look at God and say, God, help us. You can only do so much of us here in this world. Um, can't expect much change. Um, we we got to talk about the new birth in real Something new is born. They were talking about it being a condition of sex. You know, you're clothed in Christ. We, we read this language. You're clothed in Christ. You had a different position before God. Um, all that happens as a result of the transaction. We agree with that. But we also say that's why these people talk about imputed righteousness. That because we're working Christ and God was security, he can keep. That's what we believe in that. We also talk about imparted righteousness. That God wants to not force them. Holy Spirit in you. God not force. Again, what's the definition of grace? God's empowering presence in you. Working out God's transforming process. Does that stop the forgiveness of your sins? We don't think so. Um, and we, that, that's why we have sacraments, we have means of grace, that's why we talk about fasting and scripture and hear the voice of God. So we think Christ can grow us up quite a bit. Um, my prayer, and it goes back to Robert Murray McKinney, my prayer is God, I want to be as holy as a redeemed sinner can be. And, you know, and, and I'm, I'm open to the holy redeemed sinner can be. You know, I'm not going to pray, God, I want to be as holy as a redeemed sinner can be. But I know it's a tough job. You can't do much with it. <laughs> we do have our mother's truth. Uh, and it's in the body of Christ. And again, those are the wrong Catholic laws. Uh, that's why grace is not just, and I'm getting ready to turn it over to our sanctification. I'm a little bit, but we will, we will help you out with that today and even into tomorrow. Um, but, but that's, I mean, you think where like Roman Catholics are and, and people over here, we're optimistic about grace. Uh, we think that, that grace is not just something you receive when you gave Jesus your sin, but grace, God's empowering presence, grace is something that's continually coming at you get it through scripture reading, you get it through communion, you get it through baptism, you get it through fellowship, Christian confidence. Um, you know, that's why, because we're in this stream, if you're my brain that's slow, say something like, I think you celebrate communion too often. Now, these people can say that. These people cannot. Because if you say to me, we think you're not going to say And you say something like, it loses its when we do it more than four times a year. Uh, I grew up over here four, four times a year on Sunday night and no one was there. <laughs> well, we're in a different world. If you look at us, if you look at those of us in this stream, because we believe God's grace is coming, if you look at me and say, we, we have communion too often, at least it's special, what I may say is, if I'm not good news, I may say, well, you know, um, if you read the Bible, once a quarter, yearly. That's a pretty special experience. You know, if uh, you pray once a quarter, annually, that's a pretty special experience. But see, we, that's why we call it means of grace. Wesley preached that means of grace. Uh, you call that sacrament. You can call it sacrament and beyond. Uh, sacrament definitely means of grace. Sacraments do something to us. Sacraments don't just help us remember. Sacraments are more than a mere food. Over here, 
ีราคาไปว่ายืนเร็วพอไปว่ายืนเห็นแล้วคุ้มคุ้มเนี่ยเพราะว่าดีดีที่เขาเทียบกันเนื้อเนื้อที่ดีกว่า that's good that's true as far as it goes we accept that so we also say when you read the news it's like when you read the Bible it's like when you pray it's like when you fast God is giving you something in you and in you it is a communion that is holy at that moment it is a fellowship that is holy at that moment Because grace is not just confined to giving God His thing. Grace continues to come at us, and that thing, that thing finds us. So the issue becomes again: these people are limited on who can get grace. These people, I think, limit God on what God can do in human life. We have unlimited grace, and we are pretty optimistic. That what that grace can do, and and if that if God doesn't do it in your life, it's not God's fault, it's not grace's fault. But we're optimistic. So that's how we methodize. And it fits here. Um, one, one of my favorite Catholic authors from the Middle Ages, late Middle Ages, uh, wrote a book, Teresa, wrote a book on how the way of perfection. So that word perfection is is used all over here. That works here. He keeps saying, "This is where this is where you'll learn to get into more holy people." Thank you, are. But over here, we use the word perfection at least as a path, as a way, as a journey, as a destination. We're going on to perfection. I don't have to be a sinful more as I was yesterday. Call the grace. Call the grace. So that's why we get to what we method from. At least we used to. We can talk about it. Um, Comparison perfection. Uh, complete perfection. Or just perfection. Perfect love. So I've actually this kind of share with you that entire sanctification, Kevin Watson's book, and then I'll build on whatever you say. So they are yours. Yes. 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 Here's the way they're explained. This makes sense. 
in the Catholic world, they would say, Holy Communion, Holy Church, a sign of our unity. And they would say, and this has a little bearing on this one, they would say that um, for us to commune together now, we're acting out a lot. We're not separated. Because in the Catholic world, they really can't envision that we're better now than they used to call the Vatican II. They can't envision spiritual unity to any extent without organization. Now, we probably can. We can do we can spiritual unity, and my Catholic friends tell me we have 6,000 denominations. So, yeah, we don't need an organization to do spiritual unity. Catholics don't do that. Um, to be united, to be together, we need to be together. So they say that um, for everybody to be together now, it's, it's, it's happening a lot. Maybe we're just going to Now, the Protestants, and again, all, that, all the way across the board there, some do more open communion than others. We can find that We in Greek Orthodox are the most open. We in Greek Orthodox, and for Orthodox, is the oldest branch of Christianity. We um, in Greek Orthodox are the two branches that normally in the Greek Orthodox world, when they baptize the child, they baptize the child by immersion three times. They tell me babies know the child has the bread. And then after they baptize them, they put Eucharist over that. So we in Greek Orthodox are the oldest branch of the church when we do that. So for my sake, I think my Catholic friends, yeah, I know what you're saying, we're not united, we're not together. But again, when I go home, maybe I'll get it for me to do. <laughs> And they'll say, we really need extension. When we get there, we'll do it. Not the one we can do it, we'll get there. And it's, it's, it's a different, different. Both arguments have to do That's why, even I had this priest that tried to serve me, that told me ahead of time. And most priests would say, you walk up and stick your hand out and stick your hand out. They won't get it to you. But I know some priests that they knew you were not wrong about them. They were not that I had a chat with him and walked up and did something. Uh, but most priests would just say, I'm not. It's like, well, okay, what they'll say to me is, you know, it's like, they take a big mountain. Thousands are there. He was a little walk up there. So, yeah, that's exactly the same. Because they say we're not together, we're not in communion. Okay, it's pretty bad. It's pretty good. So, um, Entire sanctification. Listen, listen closely. Because you, you want you want to um, your gut is okay, it's not a possibility. And then you need to say what we're talking about. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Nick Kendall. I'm a retired conference. And one of the things I want to say just briefly is that Jeff Yesterday. Mine was, I was raised in Methodist Church. My mother was from the free Methodist tradition down there in North Carolina. My father was raised in the temple. I was raised in Pennsylvania. My father came to the Methodist Church. That's one of the stories. But the whole point is, when he was entering the Methodist Church, I was leaving. Um, I 
left the church as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old, um, because I thought the church, on Sunday, seeing the church, but I didn't see the church in the world on different terms. And in my 19-year-old journey, I got person to the street. So by the time I was 25, I was a sexual student. My degrees before I went to the ESU, before I came to the ministry, my degrees were in biochemistry. <laughs> but he handed me an interesting challenge. I said, he, he, he talked his mind through the Entire sanctification. I think all of the work is one of the things. All right. So I agree, and I thought that was a good way to go. That's the one I'm Okay. Uh, entire sanctification is Christian perfection. And as Kevin Lockheed took it. Perfect love. Now, to be able to understand why what we use this term the entire sanctification, and this whole idea of moving on to perfection, we have to understand what he was struggling with. He was challenging the belief in, in, in his time where everybody believed that faith cancels the need for the voice. Look at that. In England, there was no problem with faith, faith. Faith alone, faith. But what they were doing was they were in Jesus Christ, Savior, and then they were done. There's no need for anything else. And that's not, so there was no need for good work, no need for personal holiness. Um, it's kind of happy for me. Today, you might know that as something else. If anything that you can think of that today that you've heard that might be close to, I'm saying that that means you do anything else. Always say, Have you read that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. I was very familiar with that. It's a Calvinist. That's a free will. But, but, so that's really, I read something um, in the autobiography of Peter Cartwright, uh, an early Methodist circuit uh, preacher, who, when he was on a cross, Thousand, or one of the customers, you're dead. There's nothing else to do. There's no God there. 
And in a way, that's where authority is. But let's look at this term perfection first. Because there's Wesley read both the Latin and the Greek. And in the Latin, it's perfectus. And in the Greek, the word is so I have to make sure I put the I and the E in the right tone, in the right place. Now, there is a difference. These two words mean in English are the same word, perfect. But this is static, meaning complete, done. Nothing else needs to go. It's finished. This is dynamic. So, you, an example of a dynamic perfection might be, look at a newborn baby. Beautiful, little baby, nice, everything. And then you see this same baby 21 years later. Perfection is dynamic, it's growing, changing. And this is the term that Wesley used. Now, again, salvation, according to Wesley, based solely on faith. Nothing else. So that now, what is this faith? It is believing in the atoning blood of Christ. The blood, as we say in the hymn, that washed us clean. And then the unmerited grace of God. And that that I just talked about. The being of the transcendent that point of justification is important. The convenient grace, we're not aware of it until we come to the point of justification. At justification, we know how bad we are. We know how sinful we are. We become aware of the sin. And we know in faith that we are forgiven. Now, it is not a different grace. It's just our view of that grace, where we are. So Wesley says that when we are justified, we become aware of our sin and accept Christ in faith the sacrifice of the atoning blood and of this unmerited grace of God in Christ, then we are made holy. We're actually at that point sanctification. 
started. It's not done, but it's there. Um, it's instantaneous. For instance, you've often heard there are no atheists in foxholes. So imagine being in a foxhole, giving yourself to Christ, accepting that it's only love, accepting that grace of Christ, and you have become justified. Now, 30 minutes later, a shell drops in that foxhole, and you're dead. But just like the past guy's instinct, you're sanctified. Let's say the shell doesn't drop in the air, you survive the war, and you go on and live, and you make no change in your life, don't you say you're sanctified? That's where Wesley says it's a dynamic. So repentance is not required. At least not with the same degree as faith. But repentance comes out of gratitude, or acceptance, saving grace with Christ. So we need to move on perfection. Again, dynamic process. Now, in the handout, everybody should have one that says entire conversation is the top. Basically, uh, what, what it is is laid out, and this is pretty much just laid out from uh, Kevin Watson's book. Now, this is an extremely, extremely good book on this doctrine of the entire conversation. Uh, everything that I'm going to be talking to you about today is either in this book or in the two sermons, two Wesley's sermons. Perfection and the way of salvation was during the appendix. Now, in the appendix, it was written in Wesley's 18th century English. So, it's just a practice of reading 18th century English and very English. But, it's there. The full salvation, entire sanctification is a full salvation from our sins. From pride, self-will, anger, unbelief, it's love. As it's according to First Thessalonians, rejoicing evermore, praying without ceasing, and everything giving thanks. And as I said, at the time that we are justified, sanctification occurs. Notice I didn't say entire sanctification, but we're sanctified. But this is a process. It's a dynamic change over time as grace works more and more on us. Now, what happens in this process 
is this transfer of allegiance from sin to the world to the things of God. We, we don't think as much. They don't have the same priority that any of the before we even do this. So I suppose we better not as important how we get the money, what we do with our money, but priorities have we want to do what we want to be like that. One of the one of the major um, authors that Wesley read was John Frieders in Innovation of Christ. Some um, of it, you and uh, so that we we're transferring our allegiance to things in the world to the things of God. And I can't emphasize it enough. Now, what is not? We're not perfect in the knowledge. We're not perfect in our truth in We're going to make mistakes, especially for in our own. We try to do this by ourselves. We try to read scripture by ourselves. We try to there's room for error, places for a lack of knowledge in me. And I'm free from mistakes. And I'm free from this learning. This is important because that grace is present for everybody has nothing to do with uh, physical well being, social well being. Or even our behavior. We're broken and we're still broken. And we're not. The point is, we are sensitive. We're whole. We're not free from temptation. Because you're on a diet, but you that you can't really just looking at that apple pie and thinking twice about it. Or that there's anything that you were tempted by before, you accepted Christ and saved you and then you tempted again. And then there's maybe because you're sanctified, because you've been saved, there might be even a whole new set of temptations, like I'm holier than you are. So I guess the analogy that I remember uh, that was first introduced in the divinity school was that at your at your justification, if you're a non-believer, if you're baptism, you're washed clean and made new, and let's say that's the name of the you just have a long church tonight. Well, that church not just got right, 
not going to stay clean. Not to live in the world. Not to abide. You can go on the monastery and still get hurt. But the point is, if you're living in the world, you're just going So you have to keep practicing, keep moving on to perfection, keep working towards and that's where you can serve So see, that's why we're not free. Yes. Yeah, I have a Because the Holy Spirit is at work in our life, we do now recognize that gospel is a sin where hierarchy justification is not a good thing. And I've often seen that when I do things that are wrong, that I joy Theology. It's almost always both things. 
Now, I've got a cousin, um, I got a cousin's son, who is one of those pure Calvinists. And he loves to, we, we have conversation. He, he is always posting articles that monitor which is most people have clue what he's talking about. But he, that's a happy deal. Because on this side, it's all for us, it's always both ends. Um, you know, it's never just us. Like what you said. Yeah, God would deal with that motivation that you want to be happy. But if He continues to sanctify you, you'll begin to do right because it's right. <laughs> Not because it's, you know, right. But, but He'll start with where you're at. He, he will use wherever you're at. But He, um, yeah, He's not going to leave you there. We find synergism all over the time. Wesley was very much a physical theologian. He was not or he was not a systematic as a calendar. But he was very good at Without God, you can't. That's what it is. Without you, God will. I mean, he won't be, you know, if I want to make the account of this cousin credit close, I just need you to work cooperation with God. He's very much, you know, it's not 50 50, never 50 50, but there is some synergism going on. There's some sweet cooperation with we can say no to God. That's what Calvinists can say. Um, if you say no, it's part of God's plan. Everything's part of God's plan. You know, you know, we, we don't have to say everything's part of God's plan. So if you decide to go to hell, that's not part of God's plan. We 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 see this we take synergism very seriously. Uh, that concept of free will, it's not completely free. Because so, you see, I say I do tomorrow not sinning at all. <laughs> um, but our, our will is free enough that with grace we can do remarkable stuff. And see that that brings really to where I was coming next because you were talking about we Methodists should not live in a vacuum. You struggling, if you were struggling with that body yourself, there would, that's where these problems that we, like ignorance and the temptation and so on, would blind you to some things that weren't right, that weren't helping you to grow closer trust. And that's why I have the Amplification. You've already addressed A, hey, you need 10%. And that we we can backslide. Backsliding is not a passive terminology, but my person may have said, I don't think that a backsliding talks about more of a passive method. It's really a method problem. 
because you can find that. Now, question? And you lose the transportation. That's an interesting point. I. That's the same question as can you lose the transportation? Yeah. 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 I wouldn't be one, but I agree with you. Yeah. Now, you don't slide all the way back because you cheated on your income tax You have to slide all the way back and turn your back on you. Yes. It's all about the same, it's not actually. And that's what you need to tell your accountant. We don't study this. Again, that's what I mean by being saved by faith and being kept by our own activity. None of us believe that. But we believe that you can turn your back. Journey that you could not take by yourself. 
And one of the reasons that we're called method, because of that use of that small group, because, well, not just that, but Wesley combined two things. He always combined a belief with a practice, a doctrine of what he called the discipline, a way of life. So if the doctrine was entire sanctification, then the discipline he gave patterns by which Methodists could live their lives and help each other on the journey. I said that earlier, we, when, we, when he was talking about the difference between the, the non-Calvinists and Calvinists, and that we've got our own blind side, and they've got theirs, we all have our own blind side. We find that, we can't see. But if we have a companion in the journey, we can watch our back, we can not sit. We can see their blind side. They can see mine. And so Wesley set up the band and laid out kind of a prescription for how to help each other on the journey. And then he defined how our lives can be divided into works of piety and works of mercy. Today we might have seen those which are just personal elements and corporate things. But works of piety are the things that help you grow closer to Christ. They need to pray, community, church, and worship. Those things that help you do it. Works of mercy are the things we do in the public. Feeding the hungry, visiting the sick, visiting the prison, etc. Now, he laid these out pretty specifically. There was even some, there was a stage in his ministry where if you didn't and you weren't in a band, and you didn't participate, you didn't get to come to And that didn't last long. But at the, it was in the same time that his life when he would look at his own journal, and at the end of the day, he was raising himself. Did well, or did not well. This was okay, this was bad, this was good. But I mean, I've been writing in the journal, this is what you've done, and then reflecting on what you've done during the day, and then saying, here I say, and he writes it. Well, he did it to himself, but then he did it to the group, too. Now, that didn't last too long, but the point was, he saw the need for community help. And that is how the Methodism grew and how entire sanctification could be relieved by helping each other. If somebody could see 
very new. Because to be in the band, there were two, uh, at least two of the questions you had to answer before you joined the band. Are you willing to be told your sin by someone else? Do you know what the second question is? Are you willing to tell somebody else? These were not let's all talk about what do we do today and how we how we're gonna get along and doing where. They ask each other questions and they're laid out in in the appendix. Um they're pretty well no, I'm not gonna read them. But they're laid out pretty well how to get along with and really, as far as the key here, Wesley was arguing against people saying that this is a work righteousness. It's not. It is about living a sanctified life and that sanctified character may show up and change in your person. Holiness and in the way we live out that holiness in the And that was the key, uh, for me, that was the key important thing that we brought to the table. Any other questions? So, at this point, we do not turn ourselves in terms of our money in a way, but looking at my 19-year-old stuff, I went too far to one side. And I went, again, I wasn't part of the group. I went what, what, so far to the social side that I left the church completely. And that's right. And uh, so that's what I think is something we need to reclaim in the That we seem to have let out. I think I'll leave you with two questions. We'll pick up here tomorrow. One, who functions in your life? Hopefully, they just want to send a message to Roman Catholic connection. Who are your brothers? Yeah, male. You by your and your sisters? Yeah, you say male. Who functions in your life as your family, as your spiritual breath? Um, I, I, one of the reasons I think I've been doing this for 38 years, I think statistics are a fourth of people who enter the ministry right now will not be in the ministry decades. Mm -hmm. The reason, you know, one of the Big thing about physics is something wrong with that physics. Is I've always had a group of brothers that, that, that ask me tough questions, ask me talk about how you feel about it. Actually, not be my type of role. I don't want that to be my type of role. <laughs> I got to have somebody ask me an honest question. That's why small groups that. You know, small groups is not only one of our four major entities in the Western Memorial Church, but that it, it's a deep thing that's not looking for. Uh, I, I want to ask you, what's that happening to you? It's not such a solitary structure. 
And the big question I'll leave you with of this is what kept Hurricane's nomination in Methodism, out of Methodism. We, um, we are very optimistic about what the Holy Spirit prays in doing the work. Very optimistic. Now, here's the question. And this is what created the Church of the Nazarene, it created the Wesleyan Church, it created uh, Free Methodist Church. Here's the question. Is this growth in place? And we all know that growth is not better than others. Is this growth in grace a gradual process, or, in the language is usually a crisis, or event? So if I were to ask you, is this growth in grace a gradual process or a process? The good Western answer is. <laughs> now, Methodists have gotten really bad in the last hundred years of just hanging out here. Well, everybody gets that. Even my Calvinist brothers and sisters get the gradual growth. They don't think you can grow very far, but they can get some degree of gradual growth. Now, if you hang out in Nazareth, if you hang out in holiness, it comes out of that. They're big on the event. Uh, I've had some church, and I'm sure Nick has seen this too. When you look back in old records in the 1950s, we had a revival. 37 people saved, 25 people saved. Now, Baptists would never do that language we did. What that means was 35 people gave the sins to Jesus. I don't know the number was like this. 25 people those gave their lives to Jesus. Uh, you know, you can, you can receive Christ as Savior if you receive him as Lord. That's why we, out of this sort of tradition, I surrender all. Now, give us a good hardcore calendar and discuss all. They, they may sing that hymn because we all sing it down south, but they're all about this picture. And they're kind of optimistic about that. I surrender all. It can be your entertainment. It can be your finances. It can be your children. It can, but all of that, I surrender all. I lay it all over the altar. All that kind of tendency came out of this crisis. Most United Methodists get the gradual bit of sanctification and don't get it. We'll pick up on this tomorrow. I'll use some illustrations of what a perfect part looks like in, in, in the world in which we live. Make sure you know everybody in the room. Go and see.